0: It's Tech Biter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 386 for March 30th, 2014. This week, you don't want Windows 8, but support for Windows XP is ending. Now might be the time to consider Linux. In short circuits, everybody wants a part of the wearables computer market, and that includes Intel. Google signs a deal with the world's biggest maker of optical frames for Google Glass. Facebook wants to be in on wearable virtual reality. A Turkish court orders the government to stop blocking Twitter. And I put on my Andy Rooney hat to examine support operations. You already know that support for Windows XP ends a week after April Fool's Day. But then what? Now, this isn't going to be another one of those, oh, you really need to upgrade to Windows 8.1 messages. There are some other options. If you don't want to upgrade to Windows 8 because the naysayers have you convinced that it's no good, and you won't upgrade to Windows 7 because it's outdated, what are your choices? Well, you could buy a Mac. Or you could install some version of Linux. Have you heard of Zorin? If you haven't read any of the TechBiter reports or listened to any of the podcasts for the last year or maybe 18 months, perhaps this is news. Here's the short summary. Microsoft has provided support for Windows XP for 12 years, but it's time to move on. If you choose to keep XP, it'll be unsupported. That means you won't receive software updates, and that includes security updates. That's pretty much the end of the story. Maybe you've tried Linux, but you found even the distros such as Ubuntu are somewhat hard to get used to because the interface is considerably different from what you're used to, assuming that what you're used to is Windows. Zorin OS is a Linux distro that's based on Ubuntu. It has been modified so that it looks and acts quite a bit like Windows. In the words of the developers, Zorin is designed for Windows users who want to have an easy and smooth access to Linux. Basing it on Ubuntu makes sense because Ubuntu is the most popular desktop Linux operating system in the world. So Zorin OS 7 sits atop Ubuntu 13.04 also known as Raring Ringtail. If you're not familiar with Ubuntu's numbering conventions, 1304 means that the version was released in April, the fourth month of 2013. Zorin can be installed to replace the operating system or to run alongside the operating system on your computer. On a Windows XP system, you may want to simply replace the operating system, I decided to install it on an older notebook for testing, but because that computer has Windows 8 installed on it, I wanted to keep that. The installation was easy enough. Just make sure that you read everything along the way and make the appropriate choice when you're asked if you want Zorin to replace the existing operating system or run alongside it. You also have to determine how much of the disk you want to assign to Zorin if you plan to keep an existing operating system, but there's no need to understand the various partitions that a Linux system needs. The installer just takes care of all that without bothering you. If you're installing on a notebook computer, you will need to have the computer plugged in, and regardless of how you're installing Zoran, you need a wired internet connection. You can set up wireless later, but for now, make sure that you use a network network cable. You'll define your account during the installation, but the first time you boot to Zoran, the guest account will be active. Unless you know the secret handshake, that's how you're going to log in. And you'll then find you can't change anything. For example, I could see my Wi-Fi network, but I couldn't connect to it because I wasn't logged in with an account that had admin privileges. Switching accounts is easy enough, but I had to use a Google search to find out how. Memo to Zorin. Provide a little help for users here. Zorin includes what's called a look changer. That's what lets you choose the look you prefer, Windows 7, Windows XP, Vista, Ubuntu Unity, Mac OS ten, or GNOME two. You can run some Windows programs in Zorin OS with the help of Wine but if you install Linux, you probably should be planning to use Linux applications. The installation will include Chrome, Thunderbird, LibreOffice, GIMP, and a few other applications that are unique to Zorin. The real question here might not be whether you should upgrade to Windows 8 or even Windows 7, but whether you need to be using Windows at all. If you're still using Windows XP, I think it means one of two things. Either your computing needs are modest, or you are uncommonly patient, maybe both. If all you need is an email program and a set of Office applications, not necessarily the ones from Microsoft, then maybe you don't really need Windows at all. Zorin attempts to create the appearance of Windows 7, or Windows XP, in addition to the GNOME desktop. Choose the one you prefer. Now you can switch around if you want. Possibly one of the key reasons that Linux hasn't caught on is related to its reputation as being difficult to use and to an interface that's considerably different from either Windows or OS 10. The primary differences are in the start menu, Windows XP style, Windows 7 style, or Linux style, which means no start menu at all. There's also an option to change the theme, but the choices are limited. Like at KFC, you get the choice of light or dark, and that's it. Now, possibly there are other options, but I didn't see them, and truth be told, I really didn't look very hard. Linux installation worries have been resolved since around the turn of the century, and many variants of Linux will happily install themselves to work alongside Windows. When installed this way, you'll generally be able to see any drives that were available under Windows, and to edit documents from Windows in OpenOffice or LibreOffice, whichever you choose. You can even continue to run some Windows programs under Zorin by using Wine. There's a little confusion about what Wine actually is. The name Wine was an acronym for Windows Emulator. The developers wanted to differentiate Wine from traditional CPU emulators, though. And fortunately, Wine also lent itself to a typical Linux recursive acronym that means Wine is not an emulator. Wine is what's called a compatibility layer that duplicates functions of Windows. It accomplishes this by handling calls from Windows programs to dynamic link libraries. In doing so, it substitutes itself for the Windows NT kernel. True emulators typically create a virtual machine to run Windows applications, so the distinction is highly technical, and it leads itself to techie flame wars about what is or is not an emulator. You can just ignore all that. Wine is an open-source application that also includes WineLib. It's a software library that developers can use to compile Windows applications when porting them to Linux systems. When you install Zorin, the only application installed under Wine is a notepad-like program. You can, of course, add more. Those who are unfamiliar with Linux will find a large number of directories with names that seemingly make little or no sense. Names like bin, lib, etc., mount, and opt ignore these. Just head directly for home. Home appears in both the left column of the file browser and in the right column when the computer is selected. Home is where all your files will be. Unless you know something about Linux, just let those mystery directories continue to be mysteries. And if you've installed Zorin alongside Windows, you'll find another item under devices in the left column. In my case, it's called 136 gigabyte volume. It's called that because that's the size of the Windows partition. Drilling down, you'll find a users directory, your Windows username, and a documents directory below that. You can open documents from these directories and save documents to them. So, your old Microsoft Word documents, for example, or your Excel documents, they'll still open in the writer application or the spreadsheet application of OpenOffice or LibreOffice. When you're looking for applications to run under Zorin, the Software Center will be helpful. Select an application and install it from right there. Linux applications aren't the monolithic constructs common to Windows. Instead, each application may have dependencies on dozens or perhaps hundreds of files, and each of these can be updated individually. The operating system watches for updates and installs them automatically. The software center itself, though, seems a bit flaky in that every time I used it, it eventually crashed. This is less of a problem than it might seem. Just restart it and continue. Many of the Windows programs you are familiar with do have Linux versions. I found a list of some common Windows applications that also run on Linux, or perhaps we should call them common Linux applications that also run on Windows, on Lifehacker. For example, Buddy, a financial management system. KeePass, you've heard about that one, password manager. TrueCrypt, I've told you about that one, file and disk encryption. Thunderbird, that's the email program. Both Pigeon and Adium, instant message applications run under Linux. Miro, a video player. 7-Zip, probably the best file compression system around. Browsers such as Firefox, Chrome, and now Maxthon. Dropbox for cloud storage. And the robust media player, VLC, that I wouldn't be caught without. Zorin has attempted to create a settings system that's similar to the control panel. It's a reasonably good facsimile, and most Windows users will probably be able to figure out which icon to choose when they want to change something. In the past, Linux systems have frequently had problems making use of audio and video applications and some other kinds of hardware, including Wi-Fi adapters. Zorin on an older notebook found and was able to use my mouse, Wi-Fi adapter, sound card, and webcam with absolutely no intervention on my part. The bottom line for Zorin, four cats. It's not Windows XP, it's not Windows 8, it's not Windows 7, but it might be just what you need. Don't confuse Linux with Windows. If you need a full Windows experience, you need Windows. But a lot of people would find everything they need in an operating system by using one of the many Linux distros and open-source Linux applications. Zorin makes everything easy and it emulates the look and feel of Windows pretty well, too. Additional details are available on the Zorin website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, (music) www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, it seems that everybody wants a part of the wearables game, Google Glass. I'll tell you more about that later in the program. Virtual reality goggles from Facebook. More about that later, too. And now, a wearable fitness monitor from Intel. More about that right now. Intel has acquired Basis Science, a company that makes a wearable fitness tracker, Neither company had anything to say about the price Intel paid, but BASIS Science CEO Jeff Holov will stay with the company and become general manager at what Intel has named its Devices Group. The BASIS brand name will continue to be used, and the company's 60 employees will magically become Intel employees. Basis is a top name in the wearable fitness monitor space with its $200 health tracker that monitors heart rate, perspiration, skin temperature, steps, and calories. The device tracks walking, running, biking, and sleeping automatically, and it can send reports to your iOS or Android device through a Bluetooth connection. Basis says the device is intended to complement and not replace a chest strap-based heart monitor that you might use during exercise. Google has announced a deal with the world's largest supplier of eyeglasses, Luxottica. By large, I mean that this is the company that controls more than 80% of the world's major eyewear brands. If you've wondered why frames cost $200 to $300 for bits of plastic that are probably worth no more than about $10, then this may explain it. Luxottica owns brands such as Ray-Ban, Persol, and Oakley. It also manufactures all those high-priced frames you find in optical stores. In fact, the company runs more than 5,000 optical stores in the U.S. So this is the company that Google has selected to turn Google Glass into a retail product. On the Google blog, the company said that glass is the next chapter in the 700-year history of eyeglasses. Instead of just looking smart, these glasses actually will be smart. Google picked Luxottica because the company understands how to build, distribute, and sell glasses, says Google. They'll bring design and manufacturing expertise to the mix, and together we'll bring even more glass style to our Explorers. Both companies are planning for the time, of course, when Google Glass will be for more than just the Explorers, when the things are available for public consumption. Oculus VR has garnered a lot of attention in recent months, raising $91 million through the crowdfunding application Kickstarter. They developed a virtual reality headset called the Oculus Rift. The company had planned to release a consumer version of the hardware late this year or early next year, but now Facebook has bought the company for $2 billion. You know, it seems like just last month that Facebook announced another huge deal. Actually, it was just last month that Facebook announced another huge deal, buying WhatsApp for $19 billion. At $2 billion, Oculus VR was a bargain. Virtual reality. VR. These devices are considered to be the next step in online games, military training, and pornography. That last part is often omitted from accounts dealing with virtual reality devices, but trust me on this. And maybe sexting. Consider sexting in relation to what Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said about the new technology. And I quote, imagine sharing not just moments with your friends online, but entire experiences. This can change the way we communicate with our friends, family, and colleagues. So you're wondering what sexting is? where have you been? A 2005 article in the London Sunday Telegraph magazine seems to be where the word was first used. The portmanteau of sex and texting refers to the act of sending sexually explicit messages or photographs, usually using mobile phones, and the term was added to the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary in August 2012. Now you know. Oculus has shown off an impressive but rather clunky prototype. Sleek design will come later, but the technology itself has gained a lot of buzz for the company. How does something like this fit into Facebook's operations? Zuckerberg has said that VR is poised to be the next big thing in computing. That doesn't quiet the skeptics, though, who say that what works for multiplayer online games or military training might not have much appeal for individuals. I think they're forgetting the pornographers. (laughs) Something that isn't about wearable computers. A Turkish court has ordered the country's telecommunications agency to restore access to Twitter. The government previously had blocked access to the social network. Saying that Twitter had been a conduit for links to anti-government messages that accuse his administration of corruption, Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan had threatened to rip out the roots of Twitter. That sounds painful. Government officials say they will abide by the court order, but they will also appeal the order. The Turkish telecommunications agency blocked Twitter and said that it had disobeyed a court order to remove the offensive content. Memo to the Turkish Prime Minister. The president of your country, Abdullah Gül, used Twitter to oppose the government's actions. You know, I see an opportunity here for somebody to do a reprise of Abedin Costello's Who's On First? (laughs) Okay, now it's time for the Andy Rooney hat. Several weeks ago, I got a new TV. There was a problem with it, so I called Samsung and got it straightened out. Later, I received a follow-up call regarding the support call. I had spent about 40 minutes on the phone with a Level 1 tech, another 20 minutes with a Level 2 tech. Both of them were completely baffled by the problem. When I was passed on to a Level 3 technician, I described the problem once again, and she said, oh, that's a known problem, and I can fix it. And she did the person who called with the survey seemed a little surprised that I felt the Level 1 technician and the Level 2 technician should have been made aware of the problem. In the Samsung world, the Level 3 techs are the only ones who are qualified to connect to the TV, download new firmware, and install it. If Samsung would simply make the information available to Level 1 or Level 2, then they wouldn't waste the customer's time, and Samsung wouldn't have to pay so many Level 1 and Level 2 techs to have the customers try things that they've probably already tried at least when it comes to computers, it works like this. You have level one technicians. These are the folks who are able to breathe unaided most of the time and read a script. They are unable to understand the words, I have already performed all of the tasks you're going to ask me to do. Could you please escalate this call to level two? The level two techs will also follow a script, but they'll have sufficient insight to diagnose and resolve most problems. And then you get to level three. These are the technicians who don't have a script. They will listen to the description of the problem, ask insightful questions, and know how to resolve most thorny problems. It's rare for me to deal with anyone beyond level 3, but they do exist, at least at some companies. And that's pretty much the way tech support works. From a computer perspective, companies know that most problems are PEBCAC issues. PEBCAC is an acronym for Problem Exists Between Chair and Keyboard. And most problems actually are solved at this level, by a level 1 technician with a script. And I have no problem with companies using a triage system, but it is frustrating when a known problem isn't communicated down to level 1. What was the problem? Well, this is a smart TV, which means that it connects to the internet, and before the first use, the user has to accept the terms of service, and the TV wouldn't display those. Until the terms are accepted, you can't log on to the Samsung server. The Level 1 tech spent about 40 minutes having me jump through the same hoops I had jumped through on my own, confirming the network connection and things like that. The Level 2 technician was considerably faster. She needed only 20 minutes to confirm that I had a good network connection and that something else was the problem. But when I got to Level 3, she identified the problem in approximately 5 seconds. It then took about half an hour or so as she logged onto the TV, downloaded the new firmware and installed it. Oh, and by the way, a quick public service reminder. The annual internet cleaning is scheduled for this coming Tuesday. Mark it on your calendar. During the day, you should place duct tape over any open network outlets. You do this to eliminate recycled electron spills. If you forget to do it and later find piles of electrons on your desk, you want to take appropriate precautions in cleaning them up. Although the recycled electrons can be safely discarded with your regular trash, they need to be collected using an extra-strength paper towel that has been only slightly dampened. If you get too much water in there, it could lead to a nasty shock if you wipe up more than a coulomb. In some cases, you might find it easier just to push the electrons back through the router and onto the internet. To accomplish this, you'd need either a can of compressed air or a you can use a reversible vacuum cleaner too. Create a funnel using a standard piece of paper that's been folded in half and then create the funnel by rolling the paper and spreading one end out. Place the small end of the funnel in the router outlet. Use your compressed air to blow the electrons back into the outlet. You'll find complete instructions and diagrams on the TechBiter Worldwide website. That's www.techbiter.com. Forward slash two zero one four underscore internet underscore cleaning dot html. Be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening to Tech Biter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about twenty minutes. All music on Tech Biter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blynn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.